0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 338 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. I'm Alex, and I am the host and also the guest of this episode. Because I will be playing an episode of another podcast, the Black Hoodie Alchemy podcast, where I was a guest. So now when I'm playing that episode for you on my podcast, I'm actually a guest on my own podcast. Um, You see, my guest appearance on Black Hoodie Alchemy was done before my Twitter ban, before my ex-ban. So we're mentioning... Uh, my 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 trolling on Twitter during that episode during the recording, so you know that that was before I got banned. And this guest appearance is on, on the Black Hoodie Alchemy podcast uh, is in two parts, and in part two we suddenly start talking about John D and Kelly and. Um, it was a while ago when we recorded it, so I don't know why we just start talking about that. It seems like something has been edited out, and I can't remember what that was. Anyway, without further ado, here it is. Enjoy.
1: Welcome back to Black City Alchemy, folks. Um, I'm joined here with a special guest, my good homie Alex from the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. Um, one of the first guests to the show, so it's great to have you back on. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thank you. Um, so for listeners out there, Alex is, um, if you don't know who he is, um, he is a crazy cat, and I mean that in the best way because we're going to be talking about some of history's like craziest alchemists. Um, Alex is definitely the the perfect dude to talk to about that. And I say crazy, crazy to me has always been, um, you know, it's double-edged, just like so many, if not most words, uh, descriptive words. But um, uh, crazy has always had like a little bit of a positive connotation to me. Crazy means fun. It means inventive. It means outside the box it means um you know maybe you're maybe you um are missing the mark a little bit, but you know you're 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 trying you're diving out a little bit of uncharted territory, and yes, crazy can also mean unhinged and like red flags and um you know madness, I guess generally, but there's, you know, there's that line that's been said many, many times by different people that about the fine line between genius and insanity. And I think that that is, uh, if there's any sort of archetypal um, character that fits that description, it is the alchemist. Um, and if anything, the alchemist seeks to live in that medium, the the middle path between the two, um, because they I think as a character that enjoys like hermeticism or the, you know, the inspirations of alchemy, you, you appreciate, you're kind of drawn towards a surrealistic quality of life and an outlook on life. And, uh, um, yeah, Alex is, uh, he is quite the character. He's always been, um, um, for listeners out there. I, I, I love this story. I think it's funny. Um, um, Alex isn't afraid to speak his mind and he's always, uh, I, you know, we don't uh, agree on everything, but it's, uh it's, and you know, that's the beauty of um, friendship and, you know, knowing people uh, that give you different perspectives. And, you know, for the most part, we're very much on the same page. But uh, the story I was going to tell is that um, I, I once watched Alex on Twitter, uh, get blocked by Duncan Trussell, a comedian and uh, co-creator of the Midnight Gospels. And uh, Duncan Trussell was just being petty. I thought that was hilarious. You're never afraid to speak your mind, Alex, that's for sure.
0: No, well, uh, freedom of speech is important. (laughs) Sometimes uh, I, very often, especially on Twitter, when I come up with a a viewpoint of of some current event, I often try to, often when I say a viewpoint, I don't really have it yet myself. I might like send it out like, this would be the most original perspective that I've never heard before. I don't know if it's true, but I'll say it. And then if I get pushback and I discuss, uh, I can sometimes discover it goes wrong. And if no uh, perspective or argument uh, can stand up to my original thing, then it becomes like, well, maybe that's correct. And you know, that's usually a higher form of opinions, <laughs> uh, but. Um, uh you know oh. like people often say, take take uh, ideas serious you
1: know yeah and i like that i think that that is honestly maybe a pre-internet like more traditional way of um um granted i'm not saying you're not an eccentric dude as am i but um uh the idea of just like testing the waters and i guess what i'm getting at is debate um is the the, the art of debate is definitely lost today and um um, you know, you, uh, (laughs) I think I've said this to you before. In fact, I know I have now, but, um, you, your, your aura is this like mild mannered, um, very chill dude, but, uh, and you are, but you also have this like inner spirit animal of like this, this, uh, grumpy dude from the Bronx that I love, you know, like you have this, uh, uh, you know, you, this, uh, cutting sense of humor that. You know, I've definitely seen annoy other people, but that's because that kind of that dark sense of humor is just not for everybody. But I have an extremely dark sense of humor, um, and I'm sure there's going to be a little bit more brought up in this episode on those lines. Um, Alex, before I toss the ball over to you, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit. This is the only character I am bringing to the table really before I. Uh, um, I. Um, get you to enlighten me. Cause I'm sure you're going to tell me some shit that uh, plenty of shit that I don't know. Um, How much do you know about uh, Gilles DeRay? Uh,
0: Not any more than like the Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> Got you. Yeah. I am. Um, I would like to know more, but I am a bit familiar with the story. And uh, so when I approached Alex uh, to the listeners with this uh, concept for an episode, you know i thought it'd be great because he's already so entrenched um in the fine details of like the historical uh characters and time periods of alchemy um and i i asked him especially on the heels of this true crime uh bender that we did getting more back into alchemy i asked him you know there's obviously uh the if you look back into like the mythology, uh, you know, like medieval mythology and stuff, folklore. There's the uh there's the stereotype of the alchemist, like selling a soul, the uh, essentially the Faustian um stereotype. And I asked Alex about that because I had never really, you know, Dr. Faust was in inspired somewhat by a real medieval character, um, but I hadn't never really come across any prolific alchemists. Um in the historical record that we're really doing like true like full-on black magic um that's usually in some different categories because that was happening elsewhere and I asked you, Alex, and you said most of the time the shitty alchemists were scammers, they weren't like serial killers or like legitimate black magicians. and I think that that rings true and the only one that I can really find is Gilles de Ray and um you know I'll, t- I'll talk about some of the qu- most bonkers parts of this story um but there's a lot more that you can get into if you're interested but this dude fought alongside Joan of Arc um in the uh the hundred years war and he was um I don't know he wasn't royalty but like he was a a nobleman you would say um and I believe that was I believe he was French um and he after it must have been some sort of uh, there's always been a question of what snapped inside him. Um, it does seem like he was surrounded by sadistic kinds of people growing up because his father died young and he was left to be tended to by sociopathic noblemen, family members, uh, essentially. Uh, but some somewhere mixed with that and potentially some war trauma. This dude just snapped and all of that. um um saintly type energy you know protecting and going into battle with Joan of Arc and you know he was heralded as like a real champion of the people um sort of a, a definitely a local legend um or a, a country legend this guy just takes all that alchemical energy snaps and starts abducting children um the numbers uh most historians agree it's between a and 200 there's been some that have estimated more than 600 um they were predominantly young boys from like 6 to 18 and he would you know without getting into too much detail he would do like some hellraiser kind of stuff where he would talk to family members this guy was a nobleman of the the city he was in so he was like the freaking mayor basically um, in this like 1400s time period and imagine if the mayor just or sort of like your local you know low key millionaire just started picking children off the streets, or even not only that, going to family members saying, hey, uh, let me give your child an apprenticeship and, and getting all the paperwork lined out. And I'm coming over to the castle for the apprenticeship and then just never hearing from them again. So the whole town at this point over the years um, it knows that something's going on in this castle. All their kids are disappearing, but they can't. <laughs> this guy owns everything. They can't do anything about it. And so they're trying to appeal to the Catholic church. The Catholic church doesn't give a fuck um, because it's not really worth their time. And it's not a, it, it's not a political, it's not a move that would make any sort of political effect on them or be any sort of power grab yet. So they don't do anything. Eventually shit starts really stacking up. Um, uh, Gilles Ray becomes more and more brazen to the point where he's just like in serial killer frenzy mode. And, and then the Catholic church finally does like a SWAT team raid of his, um, of his castle and land and finds so many bodies. Um, and some people question how much of, uh, Gilles Ray's story is true because he was, you could bet your ass. He was tortured, uh, once he was, uh, taken into custody, but there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of evidence found and there's no question that he was doing. This It's just a matter of the numbers. Um, and yeah, this guy was real sick, and he was an alchemist that went full serial killer mode. Uh, some people say he was the first serial killer on the historical record. I think the only thing that would beat that is the story that I've told on the show of Angulimala, uh, the Buddhist uh, mythology of a serial killer. But that—that's the oldest story. I don't. We don't really know if that was true or not. Um, so. Interesting food for thought. That's definitely the most sadistic, evil alchemist that I know of. Um, so I wanted to drop that in there because oh, the other thing was he spent millions and millions of dollars in today's money, like most of his fortune as he was murdering children. He built like a cathedral and he put um he put on this play, this extravagant play about himself defending Joan of Arc, which squandered most of his family fortune it was like it was insane like broadway on steroids uh so this guy was fucking really strange uh to say the least um <laughs> what what do you say at all that uh alex what do you think there
0: well i do have uh, one perspective on it and uh well first of all um uh, i i i wouldn't know uh, i mean he he was into alchemy and he apparently asked to be in contact with alchemists and that, but...
1: Yeah, uh, he was at least trying to be. Yeah,
0: but I wouldn't class him as technically an alchemist, but... True. Many of the alchemists from when he lived, uh, most of the kooky ones lived between uh, his time and up till now. So alchemy is way older. So it was during like the 1400s up to 1800s where you have most of the 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 scammers and those kinds of alchemists and uh, often what they do often what happens to them is they get killed or or imprisoned or put to death for various reason reasons they were scam scamming you know like uh, tricking like a royal that They could make gold, maybe they couldn't, and then, you know, they got money for the investment, but the the royals never got any gold, you know, like that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of scam. But when it comes to this Gil uh, DeRay, you know, like uh, I'm no expert on the topic, but one perspective is also that uh, most of the stuff that you said comes from like one perspective source. And there's another where, you know, like uh, the reason they uh, caught him was because he had a dispute with the Catholic Church and the Catholic Church. Uh, this was during the Inquisition, uh, you know, like, you know how even today, how easy it is to um, say somebody is something without them being that. Mm-hmm,
1: uh, mm-hmm. And
0: But, you know, we <clears throat> we, don't, we don't have any footage or any evidence, really. So it could be also, uh, another theory could be that he was a victim of a Catholic church plot, because what happened was after he got killed or uh, executed, uh, they took all his, you know, you mentioned how rich he was, they took all his land and divided it amongst themselves and the nobles.
1: This is very true.
0: Yeah, so it could also be like uh, framed in a sense. And the Catholic Church killed Joan of Arc. And if, he, he, if he was like saying she was good, maybe you know they had enough this guy. But he, yeah, yeah, that, that
1: that that's another interesting bit. Is um he even while he was um m- like murderous and in some way without there's no way to really know for sure, obviously, but it seems that Joan of Arc and her death at the hand of the Catholic church um, probably um, was one of the straws that broke his back and sort of twisted him because a lot of that weird extravagant play was just as much uh, like homage to uh, Joan of Arc as it was to himself. So yeah, um, there is, if he didn't do any of that or Uh, what i'll say is um the 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 by far the next most popular theory uh and strong running theory is that he was set up by the catholic church and it really could go either way especially with a story that old uh true crime that old (laughs) good luck getting any evidence it's basically mythology at this point we just know that in some sense it happened um or or that the characters were real and something went down but um um, I always
0: sometimes people say like, "Oh, uh, well, it would be easy to kill a lot of people." Five hundred years ago, there was no like police or in that kind of way, uh, you know, like keeping you no know, cameras or anything like that. It's, it's easy to to get away with, and most people didn't have an ID or you know, like so probably easier to kill uh, a lot of people and not get caught. Uh, but I'm also wondering, like, I'm thinking now, like, uh, was it? Maybe in those days, people were living in smaller communities. They didn't travel so far. And you know, when you live in a small town, everybody knows everybody and they keep track of each other's kids. I don't know, I'm just speculating. Maybe it wasn't as easy to do and get away with as we think.
1: Yeah, it's very possible. Um, It's a hell of a story either way. Um, um, But uh, one that we will not Get the answers on, certainly not today. Um, I'd like to hear more of uh of some of the people, some of the wildest alchemists that have inspired you. Um, I may um depending on who you have um in your on your deck there, I may bring up John D a little bit. Um, but I'm interested in hearing. I know you go you go deep, um, and you know, the historical record of alchemists is not something that I'm new to, but um it's something like you know prepping for a test like a lot of those fine point details you might know for a while and then you might need a refresher so i'm very um excited for you to give me both barrels here and uh and really tell me about some um some uh wild alchemists in history here so you got the floor man
0: yeah well uh when it comes to the ones who inspire me or the ones i find uh Interesting, they're, you, they're not really the scammers, <laughs> uh, let, let's say if we call them <laughs> scammers, yeah. But, uh, and, uh, and, uh, like with G- Gilderay, it's also hard. I mean, it's also like, were they scam artists or not? It's like divided, uh, what people mm. think. But I guess the most famous one that probably most agree that he was a, a hustler was uh, Count Cagliostro and uh he uh, he uh, ended his life in a in a prison cell in italy uh and uh, he's probably the most uh, well known uh, of the scammers
1: well, what uh, was his deal
0: well he, he just basically um uh ripped people off <laughs> you could say but he, he he was also like uh uh he invented like masonic rites and stuff like that so he was uh, and you can even see his uh, his uh, paintings, his illustrations of uh, these uh, uh, rites. Um, I mean, like rituals within the Masonic order. Uh, and they're quite, I mean, well-made. And I mean, like, so uh, he, he wasn't like a hustler uh, on all counts, you know, just uh, maybe when it came to like making gold, which probably couldn't do, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's the exact same sort of motif between the uh um i don't know for lack of a better term the true believer and the um and and the troll i guess or the scam artist um you see that in like cryptozoology all the time um there are and i didn't expect to bring this up so i don't have names in front of me um but there are um several cryptozoologists or uh, or just like fortians looking at unexplainable phenomena that have um written books so and and they've taken it seriously and but in addition to the stuff that they take seriously they've also created hoaxes just for the hell of it um and that's uh that's real that's that's very uh conniving and uh and but you know there's an element of humor there that I really enjoy and um I talked about this um I don't remember who I spoke about it with, but, um, um, I have more of an appreciation for the hoaxers that are just trying to throw something out there for, and just let it sort of drift in whatever way it will for the fun of it. Uh, I have more appreciation for them than I have appreciation for people that are actually scamming. And that is to say like no appreciation for them, but there, and, and there's a fine line, but there is a difference. Um, but you see that same thing in alchemy and just like occultism in general all the time. So it's hard to sift through like people like Blavatsky and Crowley. I mentioned this on the last episode. There's, there's useful food for thought in there, but plenty of it is kind of throwaway. like where they were just taking allegorical stories and really running with it in literal ways, like the like root race type stuff that Blavatsky was preoccupied with. Um, So there's always a a matter trying to sift through, um, and like untangle all this shit. Um, but yeah, like, um, so aside from the, 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 the bad crazy for lack of better term, what are, let's talk about some of the, uh, some of the best and, um, some of the ones that were a little wild and eccentric, but are, uh, did a lot for the historical record, you know, like Paracelsus
0: yeah i guess i guess Paracelsus would be the the number one guy because he was um a, a very peculiar character i mean they say he was very ugly uh and <laughs> he uh for this reason he 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 didn't really uh, have a, and he, he never had a wife or kids or anything like that, because they suspect that nobody wanted him, you know? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the cool thing with him was that he, he like, he constantly traveled. You know, he was all over the place. And you have to remember, he lived, he was born in, like, 1493 and died in 1541. So it wasn't, like, easy to travel back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he traveled all over Europe and uh all the way up into ukraine you know uh, and uh, so it, it's a uh, huge distances you know and uh, he was everywhere and what he did was he used to uh, go to uh, uh what i guess today you would call witches but in those days they were just like housewives <laughs> uh, because he said that the housewives of the world know more about medicine than the best universities and <clears throat> uh, so he learned a lot from them and 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 um all their like home remedies and that kind of thing and yeah, uh,
1: yeah. there there's a lot um again it's one of those cases where i wish i had a list in front of me but um because i don't have it committed to memory but there's like it like a small shopping list at least of um home or like even over-the-counter remedies like like powders and creams and stuff that um um, we use today that Paracelsus like was one of the first to, um, find and put into like record outside of like housewife, um, uh, like old wives tale type stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he, um, he was one of the, I I don't know if he was the first, but definitely one of the first who, uh, uh treated wounds by cleaning them and allowing the wound to heal itself rather than bleed people and uh, Mm. you know, stuff like that. Um, And for this reason, he he saved a lot of people uh, because usually uh, people died when they got a wound or they had to amputate a leg or something like that. They usually died because of infection. Uh, uh, So he uh, healed a lot of people and uh, became very popular as a miracle doctor because he he did what the real doctors didn't do. So the real doctors, you know, they hated him and he got chased out of towns all the time. And and um, uh, he never really respected uh, his fellow doctors because they were following incorrect knowledge according to him. So he, he, imagine like if you have he almost had like a 20th century approach and he was living 500 years earlier so yeah. like people saw him as a madman you know
1: yeah yeah talk about a dude ahead of his time and it's interesting too the uh cuz i was going to ask you how he was um perceived by the people cuz i know more of his studies than i do like the sociocultural part and uh uh i guess not very surprising that the people loved him but the establishment didn't <laughs>
0: yeah yeah he cuz he he was celebrated and he was a doctor so he held lectures at universities and stuff and, and he, he spoke in the, the German language not Latin mm. which was not uh, at all appreciated because in those days Latin was the academic language still is in a sense so you, were, you never really spoke the common language the common, common tongue Interesting. it's like in the old days you know the Bible was always in a, a language that the people couldn't speak or read so they right. just had to, to trust the priest that what he said was correct you know
1: which, yeah I, I forget about that sometimes that's a devious trick there man
0: yeah uh, but paracelsus didn't do that and he wrote in in german and uh if you if you read the uh, uh texts from that time and then you read paracelsus texts they they feel more modern and he uh he speaks uh, very harshly, like he's, he's very critical, and like uh, talks tra- trash talks like the <laughs> universities all the time, you know. Like so, he was very much a punk kind of character, like a rebel, and um, and uh, but he wasn't like. I mean, he was usually correct, you know. He, there's a famous quote where he goes, "My hat has more knowledge than all the doctors in all the universities," or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he and you know, he, he, I don't think it's true that it comes from that, but uh, they say his uh, this word word bombastic uh, comes from his name uh, because uh, his. But I think that's been disproven, but it's just a, a coincidence then. Because his na- his real name is Theophrastus uh von Hohenheim. Uh ne- sorry, uh uh Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. <laughs> so, so he had that name in his name, you know. And um uh, um uh, so that's and he was very bombastic, so that's why people think that word came from him. Uh, and the reason a fun is called yeah, the reason he, <laughs> the reason he's called Paracelsus is because uh, Celsus was a uh, like a, a doctor healer kind of character before him, and mm. Para means greater, so it's just, oh. he, he was greater than the dude before, you know. Very cool. That's the um. name. Uh, it seems to me like it's his his uh, colleague Kelly was the maybe the real alchemist. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know, uh, it, they're they're interesting because they're like two. There's not that many cases of two, yeah. Uh, so it's like a, a couple, uh, and they were all very different. Uh, whereas John, I mean Kelly was more like a Paracelsus kind of character, like uh, uh and uh, John D was more a uh, you know a gentleman, you know.
1: Uh, yeah, um, Kelly yeah was i think you're accurate in the in the comparisons um um uh but to give paracelsus credit he was even he was even uh scamier much scammier than paracelsus even though he had um some it seems some genuine talent um but yeah now that i think of it john d and edward kelly might be like w- at least one of the best most prime examples of having just as much intrigue and merit to, and at least a philosophical perspective as they do like drug fueled, uh, like self mythologized egotism, you know, because there's the, there's the classic uh, bit to that story where as these guys, so it's pretty clear at this point, although not entirely proven that Kelly was an alchemist, at least insofar as, being able to identify um uh different plants um specifically uh western acacia um to and be able to extract uh dmt for actual smoking um and he used that for scrying and for like divination purposes and things and um and that edward kelly was the the studious one who knew all these languages and you know he had a, a, a high education uh, and so but he, you know, more of a mathematical mind, um, not so much inclined to the the uh, the vision states. And, you know, I guess it, that makes sense because it, it seems weird to me that Kelly would be so in, or uh, that D rather would be so interested, but just be like, well, I guess I can't do any of this visionary stuff. But I guess it's like me and guitar um, like I can strum. I can play a little bit but I tried when I was younger and I, you know, I can just write, even when I was learning to write, it always felt like it was coming naturally and guitar it was always so much of a struggle. Same with doing comprehensive math. And, you know, there are some people who are more inclined to hypnosis. So I think, I guess there are just some people who are more inclined to self hypnosis, you know, the visionary States. And so it's weird that they team up, but then Kelly gets so much into he 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 wraps d so much into this that he gets d convinced for those that don't know the story um that the dmt angels whatever that they're talking with and creating Enochian and magic do the communication with those angels want them to swap wives and they do but then that ends up uh really pissing d off because that feels like he can't really swallow that horse pill seems like uh he can't he can't get over the fact that kelly is uh probably really scamming him at least partly at this point and it kind of derails the whole thing from there but uh yeah what the fuck what a weird story <laughs> well if it
0: could also be that they're like oh it's 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 all an illusion i mean what does it matter if we swap a non-playable character
1: <laughs> yeah and and you know as kinky as it is um um as long as everything is consensual more power to you um it's uh it i guess it's a real cautionary tale of like uh maybe sleep on it first because uh it seems like um um d was he was definitely hesitant but i think kelly probably told him that right there it's just like man we're doing all this crazy shit does it really matter if we even swap wives like we're on a higher dimension anyway and and D's like, oh, yeah, I get that. I see what you mean. Yeah, and then he actually see he he sees the everything play out, and he's like, ah, oh, man, this isn't what I signed up for. I just wanted to watch my friend smoke DMT and fucking uh, chart his 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 trips. Um,
0: yeah, but uh, they're like very connected to psychedelics, those two. But what's interesting is that out of I mean, there's like hundreds of alchemists, but uh, Paracelsus is also that. Because he, because um, he was working so much with the different kinds of potions and medicines, uh, he he did uh, use uh, laudanum uh, and uh, kind of invented it, I guess you could say, mm. uh, which is morphine, you know. Right. And uh, he he called it the panacea, you know, like the ultimate cure, you know, uh, because whatever you know, if you're in pain and you take his potion, you're not in pain. I mean, it was a miracle um so uh but also um uh, there's this uh, story that i think is one is really fascinating is when he when he went to moscow uh he uh, got captured by the tatars the tatars are like the mongols oh uh, okay the mongol and they're like a, uh, i mean the term shaman comes from that region uh, a, a bit above uh, the Tatars and, and the Mongols, but I mean, it's that region of the world. And the the Mongols were shamanistic, you know. They had like uh, shamans in them. i don't know what they called them—but they had that. Um, anyway, they captured him, and uh, funnily enough, very uh, current even today, he was uh, taken through Ukraine in, uh, to the Crimea, and hmm. uh, he managed to like befriend uh, these Tartar these mongol captures and they they noticed that he was a holy man because uh, they viewed a healer as holy you know so they started to like skill share and share stuff Ooh. and he said that uh, the the demonstrated a uh, uh, great skill in medicine and surgery uh, and he discovered marvelous things in their traditions and uh, He said that, uh, uh, you know, there's this agent in Alchemy called Asoth, which is basically the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. And it's the the essential agent of transformation. So if you have that, you can transform anything. Uh, And uh, he said that uh, the Tartar medicine was shamanic. I didn't use that word, but, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and um, they were rooted in faith and imagination as as well as drawing on herbal remedies, so it sounds like uh, when he's describing the Tatars' medicine, it's rooted in faith and imagination and herbal remedies. It sounds uh, very much like some sort of like psychedelic substance.
1: Uh, no doubt. Um. And and faith healing, um, can obviously be a scammy thing, but I think even from a you know empirical point of view um especially if you're looking into like historical perspective and considering um cultures that were had a huge lack of scam artists like N- Native American shamanism and things like that um um and you see like it le- at the very least from a skeptic's point of view authentic attempts at faith healing I think you can even find some Merit obviously it's going to be on a case by case basis. But I think, um, you know, just the science behind hypnosis and even self hypnosis shows that when you're able to get into that trance state, which is a which is an empirical, you know, tangible thing um, that can be experienced by everybody. And it's not some sort of uh, uh, masterful, you know, it's not something that like only like yogis can do or like the Dalai Lama. It's, very simple, you know, a a hypnotherapist can put you into it. And, uh, you get into that state. The science shows very plainly that, uh, not only are you able to sort of rewrite certain neural patterns, i.e. habits, uh, similar to how you would on a psychedelic trip. Um, but you know, there's in the sense of even just something as simple as positive affirmation, those things, it's almost like you've, um, cleared the brush and you have a much clearer path just directly into the fertile soil of the subconscious and um we can tangibly demonstrably you know decrease our stress levels that are even on a physical level you know body aches body pains you know if you have autoimmune diseases like or like me i have eczema so your stress will show in the skin um or in your stomach You know, and and when you clear the path of um, when you clear the mind, you will definitely notice physical, um, uh, you know, physical relief. So um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Who knows how far that can really go. But I mean, if you just want to take faith healing at that alone, there's definitely some merit. And um, alchemy is definitely interested in that uh, and has always been. Uh, yeah. but what do you think, man, about um obviously, it's a metaphor. It's an allegory of um a transformational science or philosophy. But what do you think about turning uh base metals to gold? Do you think anyone was actually really doing that? Because I mean, it's theoretically possible nowadays with the science we have, or it is possible they can they can bombard metals with radiation and shift the atomic scale but were people able to somehow do that in you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of years ago what do you think
0: yeah i think they uh, it's very possible but i i, I um, it's not really uh i don't think that's the aim of, of the of alchemy but uh, they uh, for sure i'm sure some did uh but you know if you have an essential agent of transformation then uh I mean, like maybe it's not gold you want to make, uh, maybe it's something else. But there's like two camps on this. If it's if it's uh, metaphorical or not. But if you look at the history of alchemy, it's clearly closer to chemistry than uh, woo woo. Uh, I mean, the early alchemists were uh, scientists. I mean, they they were. I mean, the difference between chemistry and alchemy. There's only one difference, really. Uh, because they both uh, were doing trial and error and using the same materials and all that stuff. The only difference is that the alchemist prays, uh, whereas the scientist is only involved in matter, and the alchemist is not. So um, if the alchemist does the same chemistry uh, procedure as a chemist, the difference is he like prays or meditates, uh, and that... uh, would be interesting to try i mean i would love to see real scientists uh you know pray and meditate in the lab see if there's a difference of effect but uh uh i think uh, that's the main difference and uh, many of the uh lab equipment were invented by alchemists uh yeah some of them women uh, they were there are most of the foundational alchemists were women uh, especially this a one called mary uh this was very important um and they uh are uh often not mentioned as much
1: well yeah i don't know much about that even i'd really like to hear anything you got to say about that because i mean obviously if we're talking archetypally um you articulated it pretty well um you know like the old wives tales that's not meant to be some sort of um you know obviously it wouldn't be derogatory but like belittling i guess um that's saying like in what people perceive as old wives tales there's some deep innate wisdom that is passed down and so there's definitely uh i think um a strong running theme of alchemical principles um in the feminine energy i mean you could see that just in the philosophy itself but i don't know of a whole lot of old school um female alchemist so i'd I'd really like to hear about that
0: yeah they um her real name was uh, this mary one well not real name but the name she's known as is mary the profess uh or the jewess jewess uh, prophetess i mean and uh she uh uh, invented this uh, famous, uh, it's called the Bain-Marie. I don't know uh, if you know what it is, but if you, if you see it, it's quite uh, recognizable. It's a, a sort of way to distill something. Um, but she lived in uh, uh, in um, uh, the Alec- Alexandria, uh, Northeast Egypt area. Um, so she was, you know, the. You had like Egypt, and then you had her, and then the modern world after that. So uh, she was kind of on the precipice of those two worlds Uh, because history usually begins with Egypt, you know, right? Go with the traditional
1: one, but uh, what do we know about her reputation, like socio cultural? Like, how was she integrated into the time that she was in?
0: uh, Well, uh, as always. Uh, everything we know about anybody back then is usually from writings from somebody who lived a hundred years later. So mm-hmm. it's like really hard to. Uh, but uh, it's this guy called Sosimos of Panopolis. Okay. Uh, Panopolis. Yeah. Pd.
1: Pd. Newman mentioned him in our conversation with him, so listeners so, will recognize that name.
0: Yeah. So he wrote uh, about Mary. And, okay. And uh, he described her as one of the sages. Uh, And uh, you know, uh, credited to be the first true alchemist, you know, in the West. uh, Interesting. But it goes with my theory that it goes, it's just, uh, I guess, alchemy is the civilized version of shamanism, I would say.
1: Like, yeah. uh, I would definitely agree with that. Um, And I mean, um,
0: civilized in like its. Maybe not now, not today. Today, somebody would think alchemy is some sort of esoteric mumbo jumbo. But I mean, like, if you think about from Jesus's time up to the Renaissance, uh, alchemy was like respectable, you know, I mean, compared to today.
1: Most certainly. Yeah. It was, it was absolutely um, a heuristic um, template for, for chemistry. Um, among other things, you know, physics, astronomy, um, all these different things. And this
0: uh, is interesting, I think, always uh, is that, um, as I said, uh, alchemists pray and they're more spiritual and the uh, chemist is not. But the, the word chemist or chemistry is a spiritual word. You know, you always talk about when you have chemistry with somebody
1: mm-hmm. or
0: chemistry. I think that's that's interesting that people started using that term in that way. absolutely
1: you know and i'm pretty sure the etymology of the word chemistry comes from alchemy um yeah yeah so just uh further cherry on top there um but yeah the whole idea of the the scientist praying is uh is is also um something that i'd like to bring up a little more because uh that was more or less um the topic of the last episode where we were looking into Gautier and science and how the whole emphasis, um, it's, you know, it's very similar in terms of the traditional empirical model that we have, uh, to like Newtonian science, but the huge emphasis because Gautier was an alchemist, like his whole natural life, um, was the existentialist humanistic quality to the scientific study. Um, kind of in that way where um people like Jacques Vallée and John Keel will say hey even if people are, have these outlandish stories that seem unbelievable like let's really look at the human quality here maybe the story they're telling wasn't 100% true but like how did it affect the person in that jungian sense we can uh find a lot about things we don't have uh understanding of uh, by gauging the human uh experience uh point of view you know and point of view I, I, as we know about um eyewitness um reports and things it can be skewed uh, but um there is something fundamental and that's why we we keep it empirical we keep it um grounded with control methods so we don't let the um the subjectivity dilute a scientific experiment instead We allow the subjectivity to be, um, you know, what's the easiest way without mincing words. In that alchemical sense, we work with the process itself um, in order to, uh, and this is how Rudolf Steiner, you know, he adapted Gautier in science and developed biodynamic farming. The idea of a farm as a closed loop ecosystem um, instead of just a mechanical Monsanto style process is probably the easiest visual representation of that model um and it just think about it man if if Gautier had won out in like the scientific philosophical debate between Newton and and people like Descartes and all these different scientific philosophers if Gautier had won out what kind of world w- would we be living in now yeah um, interesting uh
0: I uh uh um I think that is uh his, his work is uh, is uh, very important still. Like Faust is the most famous one, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, you wouldn't know this. It's hard because it's it's German. But I, I, every time you say his name, I I I jolt. I don't know uh, which one you mean. But then I remember you because pre- of the pronunciation. Oh. But uh, it's uh, Goethe.
1: Yes. That, that that was also okay. something uh, I talked about in the episode was like, yeah. I've heard it pronounced so many different fucking ways. I did a yeah. disclaimer at the beginning. I was like, look, yeah, yeah. the the, <laughs> the way that I've heard most people say it around me is Gautier. Um, yeah. and, but yeah. I've heard I've heard uh, what was the way you said it again? Because I've definitely heard it. Goethe. It's, it's how you say it. OK. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, but, I heard but when you say it, it sounds like goatee. I was
1: like, Oh, who, goatee. who, is, he talk, who is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, but dude, I've heard, uh, for instance, in a Manly P. Hall lecture where he talked about Faust, he called him Gaeta. Like, there's so many, I've heard oh, so yeah. many even scholarly people say it differently. I don't, but I think, I think, um, you're probably. The most correct. I feel like the way I'm saying it is like the Western flair of like how people in the West would would attempt to say it. But yours is probably closer to like. I mean, closer to where he lived anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a German name, so yeah, in German you would say "get," but I don't know. But good note, good note, good note. I thought it was, but anyway, the reason I mentioned it was because I, I thought it was funny because when you say. Uh, the other way you said it, it sounded like goatee and you know <laughs> Faust, Faust and go uh, goatee. I thought it was
1: oh like uh, a like a devil's mustache and goatee.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was it was also correct in that sense. Uh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, um, but um, no, but the, the uh, I think there's a lot to. to uh, I mean, uh, I think there's more truth to alchemy than people give it credit now because I. Uh, I recently got a telescope and I've always, I live in a place where you can easily see the stars uh, and uh, there's very little light pollution, but I never really had a telescope in my life. I always thought about getting one, but I never did for some reason. So thought, oh, I'll get one. And uh, when I looked into it, I mean, I didn't get a, a cheap one. I didn't get an expensive one. I, did, I got like a, mid-range high it's pretty good i mean it wasn't cheap but it was i mean there's always more expensive ones <laughs> right but i i mean i wanted to get one that was you could see if, as far as possible without breaking the bank um, and and uh, when i used it uh, uh it was co- co- kind of a spiritual experience because you uh get you, you like you're in you're up there in the universe i mean you you're so much closer and the shocking thing I mean, I, this is funny. I knew this, but I, did, I didn't really understand it until I looked in this telescope. Because when I, when I look up at the stars at night, you know, it's, it's a black sky and then you have all these dots, right? Mm-hmm. But when I put the telescope up into that area and looked in the telescope, there were billions more dots, that I had not ever seen before (laughs) I mean there's so much there's I mean it was it was almost like that was all there is like you know like when you look at a tv that's turned off or this static you know like it looked like it looked like static like there was that many and um and in you have the as above so below the microcosm and the macrocosm Mm -hmm. and the further you go the further you look at the big thing the more it resembles the tiny thing uh and my wife had a good theory uh where it's all looped so if you ever manage to reach the biggest biggest thing you're actually at the smallest smallest thing of the next thing
1: Do you know what i mean absolutely yeah that reminds me a little bit with and i always thought it was a very alchemical ending um richard matheson he wrote i am legend he wrote what dreams may come and uh he wrote the incredible shrinking man among other greats um in the incredible shrinking man um which i think if i remember correctly maybe i i could be remembering this wrong but i think there's some sort of like almost stephen king thinner style hex that's put on him but in any case he just starts shrinking a small amount and then it like it it, it, the story visits back with him periodically and he's just getting smaller and smaller the same amount every day and then um it gets to a point where he's like a tiny man looking for crumbs in the basement like a tiny like tom or like no like 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 Faye style where he's like trying to fight a spider like it's a dragon and and he's slowly he's like i don't know what the hell's gonna happen to me when i keep shrinking i'm because i'm shrinking the same amount like incrementally every day Um, and at the end it's like the final freaking centimeter whatever the smallest uh, measurement he was using and instead of disappearing out of existence he just finds himself in a new landscape he's he's a part of like I guess what you would call the quantum landscape at that point and it's just and he leaves it open-ended so you don't really know what it all entails but the takeaway is that he is just he just basically simply through scale not even like some crazy high-minded transportation. Simply through scale, he like entered into a different dimension of existence, which I thought was fucking awesome. I always love that ending, and yeah, it doesn't uh, spoil the story either. So go read that.
0: Yeah, it's like the that uh, chemical symbol, the Uruboros, the snake eating its own tail. It's just mm-hmm. a loop. Uh,
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, and that could also be the because this is uh, every. Every symbolism you see, if you see a, a, a symbolism in something, and you see it in something else everywhere, um, it becomes like uh, a, a good sign. So you also have the uh, when you die and are reborn, you have the wheel. Um, right. So it's always a looped, uh, and uh, if you go out, you come in, and if you go in, you go go out. You know, it's the. It's very alchemical, I think.
1: Um, Absolutely,
0: as above, so below is uh, one of the important phrases. But uh, it uh, uh, it explains a lot. If you like, start looking at science and nature uh, through alchemical eyes. uh, I think a lot of things make sense. And the famous story with the turning lead into gold, I started to think is that uh, it's not about turning lead into gold uh it's uh revealing unveiling that uh, lead is gold it's all everything's gold you know so uh yeah uh, it's metaphorical of course but you, right. uh, it's the same as if you feel depressed and you're like suicidal you're depressed and all that stuff and you want to be healed or i wish i was happy and that if you reach the point of healing you would realize that you are happy
1: i completely agree it's a i i think it's so well encapsulated in it's kind of the phoenix metaphor but very even more basic than that um it's uh the alchemical motif of life is just sort of um yeah it's well represented in the fact that ash makes great fertilizer you know what i mean yeah um. Yeah. Everything is cyclic. And um, before I want to ask you some more um con- uh questions about the you know the the concepts in philosophy or uh, alchemical philosophy. But uh before I do that, I wanted to give you final opportunity to data dump um any more interesting names you want to toss our way.
0: Yeah, there's this guy called uh, Count Saint Germain, uh, and he wrote a book. Actually, it's called The Most Holy. Trinosophia, and it's a very peculiar book with lots of different uh graphs and stuff but he he um, he's been credited as being immortal maybe still alive oh. uh, and he was a, i mean I, I don't know why they have not made a film of him uh, because his his whole life is like a film he nobody really knows who he was from the beginning uh some think he was like uh an austrian um uh, an austrian and he, some guy called prince francis rakoxy the second but uh, nobody knows who he was from the beginning really mm. uh but he he lived he started living we don't know in uh, in the late 17th century and he uh was an alchemist and he was ambidextrous he could write with both hands at the same time different things he was like an expert violinist uh he never ate food uh nobody ever saw him eat anything he was wow. uh, like uh, uh very good with the ladies and <laughs> he uh, he could like uh, produce gems and gold at, you know like just just Pulled it out of his pocket whenever he wanted to, you know, like he, so he, he and then he also became a, a, an agent, like a secret agent working with uh, England, in England and France and, uh, uh, you know, did a lot of uh, shady stuff. But uh, he, so he was like a, some sort of James Bond character at some point in his life.
1: What time uh, period was this?
0: uh he uh, well it's from 1700 and oh right forward right uh, we we don't know exactly but uh but he's mentioned in uh his the most famous mention of him is in uh, uh you know Voltaire the writer definitely Uh, he his most famous book uh, Candide uh he mentions him as the wonder man and mm. uh, so, um, but there's also letters and like the queen wrote about him and and stuff like that. Um so uh, he, uh, he 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 was everywhere. And I don't know if you know who Anton Mesmer is.
1: I've heard that name. That's I I know that's where the term mesmerize comes from. Yeah. Um, refresh my memory though.
0: Well, yeah, he was working with magnets and uh, magnetism and animal magnetism and all that stuff. Uh, that was in, like,
1: the early 20th century, was it?
0: Uh, it was uh, around uh, the foundation of the United States, like, 1776. God.
1: Oh, wow, it was that far uh, back. Okay, got uh, it.
0: And there's this, uh, I don't know, we, nobody knows how true it is, but this, I mean, it would be great in the film. Like, Mesmer is, like, stuck in his work, and he needs to make a breakthrough. So he comes home, and he is told he has a distinguished guest, And he finds uh, Count St. Germain sitting in his reading room, reading a book by Paracelsus, you know, like, it's like, Wow. apparently after this meeting, you know, he thinks he he had some good uh, tips, you know, from Count St. Germain, apparently, I don't know, who knows, you know, it's all mythology, but. um,
1: Very interesting.
0: uh, But he met all these characters and he was also like, I can't remember, when was the French Revolution? Let me
1: uh, yeah, Google yeah, the you.
0: French Revolution. Yeah, 1789. He, uh, he was also like, uh, when he was this uh, secret agent, he was also like running around uh, during that period. And uh, uh, some claim like he was part of the orchestration of it happening and stuff like that. And Very then he also ended up in uh, in Russia, uh, with the, uh, the Russian, uh, like the nobility, you know, and uh, and then he 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 vanished. Like he just like people started thinking he's still alive. You know, he he he's immortal. You know, because he never really they never really thought he looked older. You know, he and that's uh, Saint Germain. Yeah, Saint Germain.
1: Yeah. Wow, weird. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you if there was any like story of him dying that people dispute, but as far as we know, he just kind of disappears, huh? Yeah. Wow. Fucking wild. Um But he is
0: a really interesting character and he uh, apparently like uh, as I said was an excellent violinist. <laughs> but uh he Wow. Uh, that
1: dude yeah. could do anything almost.
0: Yeah and uh, i can't remember his name now i'm trying to quickly google it but he had uh, in those days when you because he traveled a lot so you had a oh yeah, i remember now. <laughs> uh, you traveled by coach like you have the horses and a coach you know uh-huh and he he always had the same like he had like a, a driver that was his driver and his like assistant or whatever. and this guy's name if i don't misremember it was called roger <laughs> and i just <laughs> think it's like it's like a Hollywood script. <laughs> his uh, his life, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a great film. Uh, Freaking, uh, Roger. Know, like, yeah.
1: They got the 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 comic relief uh, sidekick buddy named Roger there, and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I did. I, I
0: mean, he, he was even employed by Louis the Fifteenth uh, as a diplomat. You know, it like mm. was. And um, Casanova. Uh this car he's also a famous uh, hustler in those days. He uh, he was friends with him as well, and like
1: so he he, no shit. he knew
0: everybody. You know?
1: <laughs> wow. Um uh stirring my brain of um you know probing the historical record a little bit, you got me kind of thinking about Rasputin What do you think about Rasputin, man?
0: Yeah, I uh... I, uh, I think he's an interesting character. He's very shamanic in some sort of way. Uh, kind of like a Merlin character.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be the best simple, like reductionist way to describe yeah. him. Um, yeah, but
0: I, I haven't really studied his stuff or, or his history that much. But uh,
1: Yeah, that's one that I know uh, bits of the story of, but um, I would like to brush up on more before uh diving into completely like resputin especially uh could be a whole episode worth um oh, definitely I, I, sorry mm-hmm. uh, I've, i don't know if um you would consider him classically alchemical per se but in terms of um uh like mysticism and being um you know shamanic for for want of a better term um and dealing with alchemical practices especially in that way where you're constantly trying to sift through. Was it bullshit? Was some of it legit? Did he scam people or did he think it was legit? Like there's so many fucking avenues to go down. Rasputin is a, a hell of a story for sure.
0: Well, in fact, I forgot to mention about Jermaine. I, I also think it's interesting is that the the guy they think he was uh uh, this prince, uh, Rakoshi, or whatever his name was, uh, he uh, he came from uh, Transylvania. <laughs> oh, no shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and apparently already 500 years old at the time of entering the history books, you know. But wow. who knows? You know? Yeah. That's one. When... Good book anyway. Uh, you can easily get it.
1: Uh, yeah, that's one we'll probably have to cover uh as as its own show uh saint germain one of these days that's wild um yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think we we ran the gamut when we're not done yet i i still got some more um that i'd like to ask your opinion of but uh in terms of um interesting names we really ran the gamut of the, the 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 scummy to the scammy to the eccentric and innovative like a little bit to the mythological, got a little bit of it all in there. Um, this is why uh if I were to consider myself anything, it's an alchemist. Um, because these characters are just nutty, um, in the best ways. They're crazy in the best ways. Um, except for Gilles ray uh, <laughs> Um, but and uh, you know, also just um I was gonna bring this up earlier, just as like a you know, tip of the hat, I guess. Uh, we we're talking about um the the feminine uh feminine characters in um the alchemical historical timeline and a lot of um what i know from like the west um particularly you know voodoo is uh something that is very alchemical and shamanic and uh because of you know i guess just you know, Southern politics, um and the fact that there's serpent worship involved. Like it's just always been inherently considered evil and black magic. Um but the fact of the matter is the negative aspects of voodoo are inherently defensive and they're meant to, you know, it's kind of like martial arts, you know, like uh, voodoo dolls and different things. and some people can abuse that. But uh voodoo, um, you know, uh, in its like westernized form, derived from uh like african religious uh culture um is something that places a lot of emphasis on the the feminine energy and it's been a minute since i've looked into voodoo but it's uh i i i did go down some rabbit holes read some books cause i do find it very interesting um i believe that um there are no i mean obviously you have like witch doctors and you have male voodoo figures for sure but w- you don't in terms of like the ultimate top position, the feminine energy and the the female voodoo priestess is the most top dog. Um, and Marie Laveau, uh, famous for being uh, the priestess of New Orleans, you know, you can go to the voodoo shop in New Orleans, uh, her voodoo shop, quote unquote, to this day. Um, she's a similar character. And it's said that she still might be alive to this day. Um, she's got a lot of lore and that's another fascinating story that could take up its own episode um, where she there she was 100 freaking million percent a real person Uh, like she was all around New Orleans everyone knew her she's a staple Um, but there's yeah sifting through it's it's the same thing. We're looking at something like Gilles de Ray. like we can see enough of the historical record or St. Germain to see that this person was around doing impressive things. I mean, they wouldn't be remembered so vividly if they weren't doing impressive things. But the, the telephone game is so fucking, you know, there have been so many turns in that telephone game that we're just never truly going to know. But that's part of the fun of it to me. Yeah, the great thing
0: with Germain is he, he appears in the diaries of different nobilities uh, that are, are like oh, wow. separated. So you can, it's, it's very clear that he at least existed for, for sure and did stuff. Uh, but uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff he did could be legendary, but that's, uh, that's the good thing about those days that people wrote diaries. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, if we lose the internet we don't have any record of anything
1: <laughs> it's true yeah yeah makes you wonder um it also makes you wonder if we might be a little better off if some people just wrote in diaries what they might tweet um
0: well, <laughs> oh, yeah, because
1: uh, um, uh, the internet is definitely some sort of massive projection mechanism um and people um yeah i think sometimes um giving people the ability to have no filter and say exactly what's on their mind um yeah bites them in the ass sometimes um but yeah just as an aside because man if you want to get down the idea of uh like computers and black mirrors that can get very alchemical as well but um
0: I did an experiment uh, this last week, actually, which I thought was very interesting on, oh, on Twitter. On Twitter, I I I I went to somebody's tweet that had a lot of followers, and uh, let's say the the tweet was about A, and then I write B B B, and get a lot of, and get dog you know, by all <laughs> these people, and uh, uh, nothing grows followers more. <laughs> it's like It's like, uh, it's a sense of trolling, I guess, in a sense, but
1: definitely it's like, but also with a thought experiment involved, not just trolling.
0: Yeah. yeah, I do believe what I said. So, you know, you, if I have a view, I know that I stand behind, I just find the tweet that's opposite and put it there, like, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and you get a lot of traction on that. And I I think that's interesting how the algorithm uh, likes that, you know. That it likes is a conflict. Good point. Yeah.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, very interesting. Now, I was trying to think. Yeah, I did. Um, this thought popped into my head. Um, because it's been a while since these are just such classic historical characters. The two I'm about to bring up, you. Om- I almost kind of forget about them in the esoteric sense, even though I have uh went down those rabbit holes a little bit um i'm actually after this conversation i I'd, I'd like to go back and look at these two characters a little more but um would you consider on a technical level um not so much archetypal but technically speaking or would michelangelo and uh, leonardo da vinci da vinci be considered alchemists uh no no um yeah cuz they, they, they as far as i know i've never heard alchemy associated with their name but those two to me in terms of what they practice like the output of what they were doing was very alchemical i was surprised um that i've never found them associated or that they weren't like directly interested in alchemists
0: yeah well i'm not saying no i just like some scholar was writing a list of alchemists i don't think he would put them on it you know
1: yeah uh, yeah I, I, uh, that's, that was, that was my impression, but like, I, uh, it'd been a while since I looked into him, so I wanted your opinion, but yeah, um, but they could definitely be viewed as alchemical in a sense.
0: I think more Da Vinci than Michelangelo. Uh, definitely. Um, I think da Vinci was, yeah, he was more, uh, uh, more mystical.
1: I think he certainly was. Yeah. Um, um, I think the thing that might, um, put michelangelo in there was his uh fascination with not just symbolism but uh the human body um and um you know like he did a lot to further our understanding of uh the human anatomy in some ways um but yeah da vinci that's a whole that's a whole can of worms right there. I, we don't we don't need to get into that right now. Um,
0: it's, it's, a, it's a shame that they can't. Like, I mean, have you seen those statues they carved in those days that were like? It looks like they have a blanket and it looks soft, you know, like or they mm-hmm. have like a veil above the uh, in front of the face and it just looks like a real veil, but it's stone. Mm-hmm. Like the skill level is amazing. Uh, it really that's something is. That I think is lost uh, uh, with the modern era is this like there's very few people who have like like who dedicated their whole life to a specific skill and like mastered it that's very rare yeah you can get it like them maybe like sports stars or something like that but or some musician but it's not that common uh especially not when, when it concerns like making something
1: uh agreed yeah um when I was researching the story of Michael Alec, a uh, party monster, um, I was reading this bit. And he, I can't find the quote. Maybe I will one day, but I read it and then I didn't save it. And I tried to go back and look for it. But he was doing this. Uh, are you familiar with that story? It doesn't yeah. really matter. No, but ba- long story short, just so you know who the character is, I'm referencing. Um, he was uh, Macaulay Culkin played him in a movie uh, when he was as he was an adult, and it's a story about. Um, this famous, uh, club promoter who was like friends with RuPaul, like the famous drag queen, um, in the nineties that, um, was popular in New York and ended up and was kind of like celebrated in like the gay, like alt community. Um, and then ended up killing one of his drug dealer friends and like chopping him into pieces and throwing him in the Hudson river. It was a, it's a pretty wild story, but, um, um, he and it was real drug fueled and everything but he said in this interview which is stuck in my brain as something uh alchemical uh in just an observational way he was talking about you know because his whole thing was like he was the latest thing and the most influential thing to like the new york club scene since andy warhol like right on the heels of warhol um and uh he was like he he said that what he did today and what people like warhol did um or what he did back then couldn't be done today because the projection process of the internet it's so immediate and instantaneous it doesn't allow the natural uh capability the natural the necessary process of incubation of a cultural idea something something forms Like think about like all the staples that we have to this day. Like, this is how, you know, like punk rock started. It wasn't, um, created in a corporate studio. They, they got their hands on that afterward. It was a real hip hop, the same way it started truly of the people. Um, and, um, fuck, what was my train of thought there? God damn it. Um, um yeah i remember um so we don't have time in this immediacy, in the immediacy of this day and age to incubate um these ideas that become within and, and it seems that that incubation period like mem- memetically archetypally is necessary to foster something on a level that is as deeply embedded as like hip hop today um and even if some like look at the things that become viral. They become instantaneous. Everyone knows what they are. And then next week we can hardly remember. Um, and so even when things become viral, like the only way they really stick around is if they have that some sort of incubation period and it's much harder today. Um, and I think that that whole idea of like the action potential and the incubation of that action potential, like that's, like alchemy in its most basic terms so that's just kind of some food for thought to the conversation but more importantly it's a segue i want to toss it to you as a final question and take however long you want with it there's no rush um what do you think about alchemy in today's day and age just uh, you know go in whatever direction you want with it but like what do you think about uh, considering the historical record and what it actually means to be someone interested in alchemy today
0: uh, I think that uh, I think the term is used a bit too easily, and uh, and it's uh, often used as a word to represent change. Uh, I guess which is fine. It's just that's what the word means now. I guess transformation or change. Uh, I mean, people call it like if they make food, they call oh this is an alchemy of different. Uh, kitchens you know so uh, they use it in that way so it kind of like has a lost kind of its original meaning in a sense but for me like if if you if you're uh, like like an alchemist you you have to uh, you you have to uh, do something like you have to try and work on yourself spiritually and physically uh, it can't only be spiritual, it, and, absolutely. Uh, it can be, uh, uh, you know, in lab work, uh, making tinctures or stuff like that, uh, or trying to make, uh, find the philosopher's stone or whatever, uh, but it can also be, uh, which I think is something not mentioned much, is that the, the human body is also an alchemical laboratory And uh, the famous thing where, like, you are what you eat, I mean, like, uh, the uh, indigenous, uh, at least in the Amazon, they uh, often use different diets to change how you are and what will happen to you. Um, And it's true, like, if you you only eat, like, candy every day, you know, you're going to feel a certain way, it's going to affect you in some way. Uh, or if you eat something else. Uh, and in the Amazon, of course, they, they diet different plants that have different effects. So they're using like uh, the body as a uh, no chemical vessel. Um, and uh, so I think uh, to say you, you're an alchemist, I think you would have to do something with your body or at least or work in the lab or both, but also be uh, trying to uh, Uh, evolve spiritually Uh, but you know like uh, to go to like a two week meditation retreat uh, you haven't gone through an alchemical transformation or something (laughs) I wouldn't say Uh, but it's used very lightly the term alchemy these days Uh,
1: um, I would agree uh, yeah kind of in the same way that love like you need to differentiate like do you mean like some sort of existential love or do you just really love that food like are you talking about alchemy or are you talking about the alchemy of flavors here you know um so yeah absolutely um I, i'm doing yeah. that with my kids
0: um, one of my daughters has started to say i love this or i love that you know different stuff and i i, I always say uh use uh, use like <laughs> so right yeah don't
1: save love don't, for the importance don't stuff. waste that word on, on such. <laughs> stuff you know like it's true yeah (laughs) yeah agreed um we mentioned this uh before we started recording as we were just kind of shooting the shit um and i think it um it's kind of worth the the food for thought in the conversation because you were talking about you know the psychology but also the physicalization um of alchemy and you know i was it was i was half joking um but i was also being fairly serious um so we were talking about um drugs and how like particularly here in america um the drug game has just gotten even worse because it used to be you were just using a sketchy drug at the bar maybe coke at the bar for instance but now it's not just like coke at the bar it's do you fucking do you want to play russian roulette and maybe snort a line of fentanyl or xylazine or something and uh and really fuck your life up uh, and maybe just die right there on the spot. So like, um, and and this is kind of, you know, this is the alchemist way in many ways. Um, uh, not the death part, but what I'm about to say is, so so I told you, Alex, um, for the listeners out there, if you're going to do the harder drugs, um, even weed, you know, this is, I try to live by this. I don't always, but you should be growing it yourself. Um, like, if you have a habit, if you're going to indulge in a habit, even if it's beneficial, you know, uh, my weed habit, definitely more beneficial than any sort of coke habit that someone would have. You should still I feel like it behooves you, you should take on some sort of what I would call like an existential alchemical responsibility, grow that yourself in the kind of the same way of like hunt your own meat whenever possible. Um, In today's world. Um, like if you're gonna shoot some heroin grow those fucking poppies yourself <laughs> is uh you will not only will it not be cut with some shit but you'll appreciate it a lot more you might be a little more conservative because of all the work that went into there and you're going to learn a lot about the process of life itself through that alchemical process so if you're going to have some sort of dirty habit you might as well learn a thing or two out of it um but is like that no, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just fucking rambling on. I'd like to hear what you have to say. It's good advice,
0: uh, but I wouldn't apply it to practical alchemy uh, because I I have a I you know, I have a lot of uh, friends in the alchemical community and I'm part of one myself, I guess you could say. And uh, we know several people who died from things they made themselves. So, uh, uh, doing like, uh, trying mm. to make uh, alchemical procedures from these old texts and that, I mean, there's like mercury and, uh, and different uh, substances that they use. And oh man, if you make a tincture and you don't know what you're doing, you're dead. So, uh, you, we, when it comes to alchemy, you, you, you should, if you're going to use those kind of substances, then you have to really know what you're doing. Uh, uh, and, um, I I couldn't give you an advice on how you would know what you're doing, but you know, like uh, you cannot, but you know, you can also do alchemy with like safer material. Um, but you know, those people who I know who have died, they're the ones who've been most dedicated to finding how to make gold. So I guess mm. in a sense, or, or immortality.
1: Right. Uh, Cause yeah, that's also another lucrative.
0: aspect. Yeah. The most lucrative. And when you're, are chasing that dream, you know, like yeah, you can end up dead, you know. And many alchemists in the past have also died. I mean, like, and uh, they're kind of martyrs to science. I mean, I mean, how do we know a mercury or these other dangerous substances? Uh, why they're dangerous and how they're dangerous? Because people died, you know. We learn from their mistakes, you know.
1: Yeah, so, uh, they're like he- heroes in a sense, I guess you could say. Dude, I'm very glad you brought that up um, as a final consideration because that really is another um like kind of quintessential aspect of our chemical record. Like there was people, and that goes into the crazy part. There was people really branching out and doing all sorts of shit with mercury and other highly hazardous chemicals like a long time ago. And um you know, there's every yeah you know, case by case basis, but there's every reason to believe that. Aside from psychotropic chemicals they were extracting and then ingesting, a lot of like the fumes that they were just breathing in, and like the poisoning of their alchemical experiments in an unventilated room probably caused them to have some interesting thoughts and visions as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. But um, I remember talking with a guy on a forum, a Fortean forum back in the day, um, where. He uh, he was he was talking about he's always interested in alchemy and um, he his father was a chemist and his father had a a chemist friend that was also a Rosicrucian. Um, And so growing up, they were always just he was always hearing bits and they were telling him just crazy different stuff. And so he kind of got a knack and being the son of a chemist had shit laying around. So he would actually try and do this stuff from an early age. And he was like, I have no doubt. He's like, I'm thankful that I'm still functioning and still here because I have no doubt that I probably poisoned myself on a few different occasions. <laughs> so yeah, like it is real Indiana Jones adventuring through the alchemical textbooks. If you're actually going to try and decipher what they were talking about on an experimental level, how much have you done of that, Alex?
0: Uh, I, 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 uh, I've stayed away from the dangerous substance. I don't have a, a, I don't have a I don't uh, I often argue with uh, gold alchemists uh, like why why what's the point of that you know you can't bring it with you when you die anyway mm-hmm. so uh, I haven't really been into trying to discover how to make gold uh so I've been more uh, on the other on other path more spiritual one uh, yeah. and trying to like improve that way I it hasn't been a monetary reason uh, or even immortality, I have had many long debates with these people who want to find the elixir of life and be immortal, but why would you want to be immortal? You know, like it's like having the same car for the all your life, you know, like when the car gets old and doesn't work so much anymore, I mean you get a new car, like you know you get a new body or a new life, why would you I well,
1: mean you want immortal, the same one yeah,
0: yeah it it be it it would be a curse I mean, right that is part of the vampire forever. curse yeah. yeah i mean you wouldn't want that i mean it could be fun like maybe 150 200 years you know, maybe it could be fun but you know like come on if immortal that's thousands of years i mean why would you want that? yeah <laughs> that would be a nightmare
1: fuck just watch yeah. the movie highlander do you think that he had a great time the whole time fuck no come on yeah. that sounds bleak yeah i would not want to be immortal um but the i think i like it sorry no i was just gonna say um i get the appeal on a on like a a quick grab like a comfort grab sense but i do i really don't think i would like that in the even if you gave me the option i don't think i would take it exactly. the immortality yeah
0: and what i like was uh, Uh, what i like about uh, the alchemist like uh, as as uh, an archetype is that like you your humanity has been thrown into this strange world imagine like like a million years ago like humanity became conscious like where are we we're like we're in this nature like like uh, okay we're in this world uh Uh, what shit can we make like let's find out what we can make and like and 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 you go so far that you manage to make something that makes you break through and leave that world like you go to the next uh, like another dimension i mean like that's that's high magic in my world
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah i guess you could say that alchemists are kind of like the spiritual macgyver you know, diffuse a bomb out of some bubble gum and a paper clip and a rubber band. Um, you know that character, right? MacGyver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, this has been fucking awesome. This was a uh, a real, just like across the board conversation, keeping strict to alchemy, but we went in so many different directions. I, I got like a burst of energy from that. So thank you very much for coming on the show, dude. This was a great time.
0: Cool. Thanks a so lot.
1: Do you have any final comments for the listeners out there?
0: Uh, it's been a slow process, but uh, I'll uh, very soon start releasing my History of Alchemy series. And uh, if people want to check that out, it, it starts pre-Big Bang and is supposed to end at present time. So I don't know how long it will be, but I'm trying to do it as detailed as possible, which is doing my head in because I got a bit <laughs> of an OCD, so I don't know when to stop. <laughs> You know, oh so man it's like i was like oh i need to i need to stop somewhere because I, if i keep this up i'm never gonna get done so I, I have to cut corners
1: and just abbreviate more because i went way too detailed <laughs> i feel but, you, man well yeah, that sounds like such an undertaking um god bless you dude you're doing the the lord's work out there trying to uh format that into a digestible podcast um output and i have no doubt that you'll be able to do it and i can't wait to hear them um so go check out the natural born alchemist podcast everybody um it's you know everywhere that you can stream anything um your website it's just natural alchemist.com right yeah right on all right man well thanks again so much um we'll get you back on uh the show before too long and uh okay, chop it up some yeah, more dude you have a good day
0: close with some uh you know I've started watching Tom Green's show again. You know that old show from the 90s. It's so fun. He was a man ahead of his time. And I'm going to close with a song. That I took from one of the episodes he did. Because I like the song. And I like Tom Green. And I thought it would be fun to play. Some music from that deranged genius mind. Um. Till next time, freedom is in the mind.
1: So wrong As the You
0: know we'll have to watch the tapes later on and we can see what we did right what we did wrong and then you know reevaluate the whole band situation i thought we did okay what do you mean
1: you know? reevaluate the band
0: think, situation you're saying you don't want to work with me anymore is that what you're saying mr guitar whiz i don't know mr, guitar, I don't know. I just, mr. Like, guitar hero we need to work on some areas what areas uh, my areas well you know i'm not going to say that but i think that glenn and i are as good as simon and well, if you could do what in a they different, did. In a different way, you know? In a more 90s kind of way. In a 90s way. No, seriously, in a 90s way? In a 90s way? Always good as Simon and Garfunkel in a 90s way? Seriously. No.